0: If you would just stand with me, please, as we just read this, if you have the ability to. This section in Habakkuk is, is titled Habakkuk's second complaint. Obviously, he has not learned from the first, but he has. So here we go. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, and he makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So is God's word. You may be seated. Just a a brief prayer. Father, teach us what we need to know this morning. Show us who you are. Show us our Savior, Jesus. And show us ourselves in the midst of this. For Christ's sake, I pray. Amen. I entitled this message this week, The Faith Challenge the faith challenge. And I want us looking at these particular verses here in Habakkuk and I want us primarily focusing on a very important thing. In the moments of crisis or challenge, it's really hard at times to understand what God is doing and why He's doing what He's doing. Having our faith challenged and even questioning and wavering in our faith is not wrong. It's not something that We should be ashamed of. What we do in those moments and to whom we go for answers is, as we will see as we unpack this, the prophet here, Habakkuk, who we go to for answers is critical. You know, the more I studied this, and just before I continue, no, I didn't write this this morning. This has been in the works for months. God knows what he's doing. The more I studied and and really slowly looked at this particular passage here of text, I discovered that in Habakkuk's second complaint, what I find is a prophet wavering. He's teetering on the edge, not really understanding God's response in the midst of his struggles, especially in light of this, what he knows of God and of God's ways that simply are not lining up in his mind with what he sees happening all around him. He's teetering on the edge. It's a difficult thing this faith challenge. Don't think for a minute that it isn't. It's a difficult thing. This journey of life which brings so many challenges each and every day, so many trials and so many transitions, changes, those words that we hate to hear, so many struggles and so many things that come our way that we just simply don't understand and we can't make sense of. Add to all of that the evil discord which seems to grow by the day in our world. Everywhere you look in the newspaper and on the news and on the social media feeds, Hong Kong is on the edge of either a revolution or an absolute overthrow of a freely elected government. Even again this morning, peaceful protests are rolling. England is on the verge of political chaos. They can't figure out... How it is they're going to leave the EU without destroying all of Europe and breaking things apart. The U.S. and Iran having their little contests on their little Twitter feeds. And now we have people that are involved with boats and ships and oil and all of that stuff. Impacting Saudi Arabia. And then we have North Korea in the background testing missiles every other day. Just trying to see how far we can go. I could go on and on and on and on and on. And all of these things oftentimes causes the Christian believer to ask in the midst of everything, why Lord? Have you just turned the sound down and gone about your direction? You see, those are all global issues, aren't they? Those are all general challenges that we can read and that we can look at and we can be frustrated with and we can just kind of pass off or not read the paper and ignore And as communities, we try to face them. We try to make sense of them. We try to figure out how it is we're supposed to live. And I hope that we actually wrestle through to good answers from the scriptures in prayer on how it is we can help people understand why the world is the way it is and why we believe what we do. But it's the personal. It's those deeply private moments in our lives where our faith challenges really exist. What about those challenges there in the quietness of our prayer closets? It's unsettling that we see the world as shaky as it is and and we seek the Lord. But what about your immediate sphere of influence? What happens when that becomes very shaky? When you discover in an instant you are not the master of your own destiny and you don't have an answer. What about those moments? So, you know, in talking this week with the team that I gathered together with on Tuesday mornings, I simply asked, I was preparing for the message, and I asked for some input as we were wrestling around Habakkuk's faith dilemma here in chapter 1 going into chapter 2. And I was told by somebody in very real time, very, very honest and very open, that they were struggling at times in the midst of everything that was going on with transitions and with changes and with the things that they were dealing with, asking what I call the good why questions, The good why questions, those are the ones that are directed at God rather than simply standing on the hill and shouting out into the darkness, angry because nothing's working, questioning their faith in the midst of it, and finding themselves sad, lonely, confused, and yet looking to him who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. They know where to go in the midst of their struggle You see, because answers come, and that is critical for every one of us to understand. While we may start without an answer, answers come. God bless you. I have you where you are because I still have a heart for these people, is a response. Are you willing? Will you wait for your promised land, was another response. You see, questions from God which perfect our faith. Did it make things easier? Well, yes, and no. Yes, in the sense that God responded. No, in the sense that things are not any different. But He's perfecting our faith. Faith never grows in a vacuum it never just happens on its own on its own it comes at least for the christian in this world from wrestling before the lord with the things that don't make sense with the pains that we have with all of the things that come our way that we just can't get our hands around this is habakkuk this is the prophet Verses 12 and 13, are you not from everlasting? Can you hear the desperation in his voice? Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? No questions on what he's thinking about. Aren't you the everlasting one? The one who's going to save us and bring that righteous judgment on all who are wicked? Aren't you that one? Oh, absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Okay then, why Babylon? Why the Chaldeans? Why them? Why will the wicked triumph over the righteous? If you are who you say you are, why them? Habakkuk's faith is being stretched, tested beyond what it was used to, far beyond. Thus the warning of verse 5, if you recall from last week. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Guess what? Habakkuk doesn't believe it. And he's been told. You see, God was warning him in that verse that we think is a positive verse. No, it's not. It's an encouraging one, but it's not positive. God was warning him that he wouldn't believe what God was going to do. And sure enough, the last part of verse 13 bears the truth out of this prophet having a hard time with this. When he says, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up man more righteous than he? Why? Why? that wrestling through with trying to reconcile what we know of God and His promises, and yet what we have in front of us doesn't quite add up. We're not feeling it. Feelings are fickle. I don't need the Lord to tell me how I feel. I already know. What I need from God is tell me what I need to know. That's what Habakkuk is wrestling here because it's not adding up at all for him. It doesn't make sense. Is it a weak faith? Is it a weak faith that simply says, I don't get it, Lord, and I know I should trust you, but I don't, and all that stuff? No, it's not. But it is a weak faith, however, that simply says, Well, it's just the way it is, deal with it, move on, suck it up, buttercup. That's a weak faith both from the Christian perspective and from the worldly perspective. Now, why do I say that? Because that response is an emotionally driven response devoid of any thinking on our part and rooted in absolutely nothing but unsureness on the part of the person who's saying it. They don't have a real genuine answer as to what's going on, so just that's how some people respond. That's a weak faith. There's no wrestling before the Lord in the midst of that, as Habakkuk is doing here, with the truth in our minds that conflict with the feelings in our hearts. Have you you ever been there? We know certain things, but we aren't feeling them. And we wrestle through that, and we can't reconcile that. How on earth can anyone's faith be perfected if it's not tested? If it's not wrestled through before the throne of God with the king of the universe? Most especially through those deep, hard questions of life. That don't make any sense to us. That's what I mean by a good question. One that is aimed at God. One that is brought to God. And one that is honestly presented before him for a genuine answer. In order that we can have our faith perfected. Not turning away. Not rejecting him because all of the evil in the world. That's a dangerous way to be. But rather trying to understand Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Trying to understand him and his sovereign purposes for his world and his people. What do you do when you don't understand? You see, Habakkuk lays out in verses 14 and 15 where his faith is being challenged. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like the crawling things that have no ruler. I get it. You made the whole universe. I understand that. I understand that. But then he goes, he, that's Babylon, brings all of them up with a hook, like you're not even here. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. That's a frightening observation. You make, Lord, I get it. I know who you are. But he brings all these things up with a hook as if you're not in control of anything. Now, if you're like me and you've got footnotes in your Bible, you'll discover a much better rendering on who that he is. In my Bible, it says the wicked foe brings. clears it right up for us. We don't need to know who Habakkuk is wrestling with here. It's that wicked foe. He makes a mockery of your creation. How can this be, Lord? How does this make any sense? It seems as if evil constantly wins. Not only that, but it seems to glory in itself. Dancing in the street with the, (laughs) you can't do nothing. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. They are worshiping the created rather than the creator, as the Apostle Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 1. Idolatry working itself out absolutely in the human being who is self-righteous, prideful, and arrogant before the Lord, and they make sacrifices to rope. All powerful and absolutely ignorant of the fact that they are devoid of a conscience. Faith that is never tested is no faith at all. I'm not being morbid. I'm not being fatalistic. I'm being genuine. And I hope I'm being faithful and encouraging in a very real and biblical way for all of us today as we see the struggles of Habakkuk. Because you see, this false notion that is bought in this world today, that we will be delivered up to heaven on a feather pillow of ease, of prosperity promises, and hyper-faith crap claims, is simply wrong. It's absolutely wrong. This notion that because things are rough or because I'm struggling a little bit as Habakkuk is clearly struggling and some of us here today are as well. It's not because you don't have enough faith or somehow you need to dig in and there's some hidden unconfessed sin that you need to roll out. I wish the Lord would glue the tongues of these fools to the roofs of their mouths when they teach this type of stuff because somehow God is punishing you and what you need to do is just have a little more faith. Push through, believe harder, as if any one of us has anything to bring to the table before the Lord of the universe, who loves us and wants to grow us, as if we have anything at all to do about that. God does what he wants, whether our faith exists or it doesn't. That type of theology is a lie from the pit of hell and is so man-centered, God left the building eons before it even started being taught. Go to God with the tough questions. He can take it. Trust me. He's not even surprised when you show up. He's just surprised it took your stubborn self so long to get there. Go to God with the tough questions. Allow him to grow you. To conform you to the likeness of his son Jesus. That is his goal. Be honest with him. Especially about yourself. Habakkuk is... Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? What's the deal, Lord? I mean, are you out for ice cream and you forget to come back? What's the deal? Is he to keep on? Really? Seriously? That's a powerful question. And it's a horrifying and seemingly hopeless picture that this prophet finds himself in. In the midst of these things, all we get sometimes is a sense of hopelessness. Think about that. Of seeing no end at all to our struggle in the midst of the things that we're dealing with. Trying to make sense of the here and now in light of what we know to be the eternal promises of God can be absolutely hard sometimes depending on how struggling we are or how much the struggle is that we have. It can be very hard. We can't think that it's not. We can't pretend that it's not. To do so would be dishonest and just disingenuous we all get worn down sometimes we all lose sight of the prize we all want to hole ourselves up in our little hobbit hole somewhere and we don't want to see the world we don't want to deal with these issues we all do if you don't give me a call, I could use some advice because I ain't figured it out yet and if you have, boy I sure could use some help this is why it's good to remember Paul in our first reading when he encourages the Philippian church, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. If you write in your Bible, circle that. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. His desire is to conform you to the likeness of his son because that gives him pleasure. His hope is that you will work out that salvation with the fear and trembling in this world. And we are never promised a free life from struggle. We're never from promised a life free of doubt or even fear for that matter, are we? We're not. That's why I say to people, and I've had this debate with folks before and I believe that I am absolutely correct in this. If you want an easy life, don't be a Christian. Check out. Go do your own thing. It's not easy at all to be a follower of Christ. Yet we are promised that in Christ, God has allowed us to overcome Even the things that are coming that we don't even know, God has allowed us to overcome. In that high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, and throughout John, actually from 13 all the way to 18, Jesus prayed this, but now I am coming to you, speaking to his Father. And these things I speak in the world, that they, his disciples may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so have. I have sent them into the world. See, Jesus prayed that we not be taken out of this world, but that we be protected while in it. Why? To be sanctified and to be sent. Sanctified and sent to do what? To proclaim the gospel, to live faithfully present within the culture He sets you down in. Even when, most especially when, things make little or no sense. I said this morning, when I don't know what's going on, and I don't feel good because of the things that are going on, I ask the Lord to remind me of what I know Because what I know is what i got to hold on to. Not how I feel. What you know of who Jesus is in the midst of the dark things that you deal with, you hold on, even if it's just the fingertips that you've got a hold of the altar with. You don't let go. Because He will not let you go. Doesn't matter how you feel. Ask the Lord to tell you what you know. And stand on what you know. Stand on what you know. I'm reminded of an old song that we used to sing way back, you know, in the dark ages when I first got saved. It was a timely one, not timeless. And I pray to Jesus, it never gets pulled out of the box again. But it spoke to me when I was doing this message. It says, through our God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our enemies. We will sing and we will shout the victory. What's the victory? That Christ is king. Christ is king. And that's the real struggle for Habakkuk, this prophet here. He's in the moment. You ever been in the moment? You just, you can't get out of it. He's in the moment. The situation completely surrounds him and the crisis is happening and he sees no way out. And for now, he cannot see the forest for the trees and he's just trying to make sense of it all. Yet he does something that every single one of us ought to do and more often than not, we actually fail to do that stay the course. Stay the course. Stand your ground. Go to God. Seek Him out in the midst of all of that confusion. Stay the course. God does not change in the midst of a changing world. Stay the course. Pilgrim got off the path and took off in a bypath meadow, and that messed everything up for him until he could find his way back. Stay the course. See what I always thought was a a more of an agitated hockey response, almost infantile response by the prophet, and I suppose that probably speaks more to me (laughs) and my thoughts than it does the prophet himself. Habakkuk here uses a military metaphor. Now some of you probably picked up on that before I did, and God bless you. But he says this, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. I think this is profound. I think it's encouraging. Why? Because his faith is shaking. His faith is wavering and teetering on the edge. But even though it's wavering and even though it's shaky, he knows who to turn to. He knows who to go to. As an aside, and I know I say this often, but it's good to say it now because it's a great lesson for us to see and learn. He turns to God. He doesn't deny his existence. He doesn't accuse him of being some malevolent sky pilot dictator And what's really wrong with this world is him and how, you know, blah, 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 blah. No. Because he believes in Yahweh, God of the Bible. Because he believes in all of his promises and because he believes that the law of God is true and right and just. He turns to him to lodge his complaint. And that's absolutely essential for us to see. Because he knows who God is and that God is perfect. Habakkuk's faith is shaken and because this doesn't make sense or live up to what he knows about God he's teetering but he goes to the one who he ought to go to. He doesn't run. He doesn't take off. No. In fact he does exactly the opposite. He doubles down and he says I will take my stand on the watchtower and I will station myself Like a soldier, like a soldier under the king's command, he will fulfill his duty. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't have all the answers. At this particular moment in time, in this message, he's absolutely unsure of himself, even. He's absolutely unsure of himself. How do I know that? Well, the second part of verse 1 says this. I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. It's almost a contrite act of contrition here. I don't get it, but uh, let's look out to see what he will say to me and I will answer, what I will answer concerning my complaint. It's a really wonderful insight into the humanity of this prophet. I love how the scriptures never shy away from Anything, do they? Weakness, brokenness, frailty, doubts, uncertainty. Habakkuk is not even certain how he's going to respond when God talks to him again. But he knows what to do. He stands. He holds the position. He does his job. Why is that important for us to understand in the midst of this? Well, David Baker, in his commentary on Habakkuk, says this. This watchful vigilance is one of the roles of the prophet, whom, like a sentry, is to guard against the departure of God's people or their leaders from the parameters of the covenant of God. His job was to speak to the people, speak for the people, and make sure that they were protected and doing the right thing even in doubt and fear it's an awful lot like a pastor's job today when we oversee our flock when we teach what kind of courage is that for a man to have it takes a great deal of courage think about this habakkuk's got to be thinking as he stands his watch i don't have all the answers i'm even a bit shaky in my faith but i know my position I know my calling. I know that. So that's what I'm going to stand on. And I'm going to stand there. I'm not going to waver on it. I'm going to wait. Even though I don't see anything line up, it makes no sense to me. I will stand my post. Because I know He has an answer. I could have the worship team come up as we prepare to close. Because this is really our challenge here. When we take a look at something like this in our world the way it is, can we do the same in our obedience to Him? When we find ourselves in the position of a Habakkuk, can we do the same in our obedience to Him? In our prayer time, do we even carve out time for that? Our reading during the week? How about our studying time? How about the giant taboo of the tithe? Do we trust the Lord in that? Will we give Him even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't think we can get end A and N B B to connect? Do we trust Him in that, too? In our darkest moments of doubt, I want you to think for a moment, because we're going to have a time of prayer here. I want you to think of those moments. Perhaps you even are in one right now, and you don't know the answers. You're struggling with what it is that's going on. Can you trust God enough to follow the leading of his spirit and just stand on what you know in the midst of everything falling apart? not be so busy with the nonsense of the world that's going on to understand who our God is. Follow the leading of his Holy Spirit. Sometimes he's going to take us places we aren't comfortable with, frankly, and we aren't quite ready for in order to reach those who are lost, the last, and the least. Because you see the encouraging piece here. If I could have the prayer teams come up, and with this, we will sing one last song. Here's the encouraging piece Babylon will have its day in court. That was assured the day that Jesus walked out of the tomb. All bets are off at that point. Every act of evil in this world will have its day in court. That is a promise written from eternity. That's never in question. Even though the world laughs. It's not how it works. But we're right now sometimes in our own times of crisis. Can you trust him? Let's stand. Can you trust him? If you do, and you need prayer, we have people in the front, we have people in the back. Please do not leave here today without getting prayer. Brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are God's people. Father, as we prepare to just sing one last song, glorify the name of Jesus.